Hi, and welcome to today's ResiCast. I'm joined by Simon Scott, who's Lead Director for Living Capital Markets at JLL, by Andrew Allen, who's Global Head of Research at Aberdeen Standard, and Johnny Caddock, who's the co-founder at Mode Living and Director at Caddock Group. And we're talking about the investment landscape for residential real estate. Simon, I'll come to you first. In terms of JLL's view globally within capital markets, where does the UK sit right now? How much of a risk are we? How much of a, an opportunity are we, given where currency is sitting? Well, you'd probably expect me to say that uh, I would see uh, the UK as a tremendous opportunity for investors in the, uh, in, in the residential space, and genuinely I believe that. I think fundamentally the supply-demand imbalance in terms of stock and the opportunity for institutions and capital to assist on that delivery process, um, I think is, is, is incredibly strong at the moment. I guess in terms of how that sits in a global uh, perspective, I think it's fair to say that um, current sort of market conditions, prevailing headwinds, whichever which way you wish to describe it, uh, are obviously putting um, some investors um, ill at ease. Um, I would say that's principally a lot of international capital who frankly aren't concerned about the fundamentals that sit behind the investment case but ultimately just around the environment in which they're, they're entering into that market. But so why, why does that matter? I mean, presumably they, they understand that this is a long-term play, so why does short-term political volatility well, matter? it's not necessarily all about the long-term with some of that capital's interest. So some of that can be quite, quite take a short-term view. So in, in which case, if you think the situation might be to your betterment to put something off, you'll probably wait. And ultimately, when these investors are making capital allocations, it's not just about the living environment that I specialise within. It's in a much broader, a broader field, which might not incorporate real estate at all. So I think that has to have a bearing in terms of people's perceptions around... If, if, if you read everything in the property press, you'd think it was probably the only sector to be in. I, th- I think it, it's certainly one of the stronger sectors in the market at the moment, but these investors have opportunities to invest capital in in a much broader arena. Mm. Um, and so I think, I'm, sorry, I think... No, I think go, no, go on, please finish the point. Fa- f- fundamentally, that's why I think a lot of UK institutions, to your point around the length and commitment, are looking at this as an asset class, an emerging asset class in the UK, where it very much does align with their long-term aspirations and ownership, and that's why we're continuing to see so much activity in the sector from principally UK um, uh, domiciled institutions. Um, and, and Andrew Allen, if we bring you in, looking at this from a global perspective, yeah. you brought in a fair amount of investment from outside the UK, haven't you, in terms of not just residential, but, but looking more broadly across sectors. And so, so two questions then. What is the appetite from people outside the UK? You know, is, is Simon correct? Is it all about UK institutions? And, and secondly, as a house, where are you viewing residential investment across Europe? Okay. Um, I think we just ought to reiterate some of the points there that um, have just been made. So the fundamental here is, is enormous. Um, so I have the responsibility for looking across real estate markets across the world. And what we typically see with, with residential is that there just is insufficient supply coming through in any of the major markets we tend to look at. Um, most investors globally understand that. Um, every market is different in its own way. Um, 
but the consequence of understanding the fundamental point that Simon's already made is that investors are trying to work out how they get their capital in. Um, so what does that mean? If we, if we think about our experience in, in Europe, um, most of our activity has been in continental Europe, um, so heavy activity in Finland, Denmark, France, Austria, but particularly Germany. And that's and, core investment, isn't it? Well, mo- most of the activity has been core, but we're also responsible for development activity as well. And we're often building, quite literally building to core in Germany. Um, so what does that mean? If, the, if we take some of our German experience, then it's interesting to see the nature of the capital that is there, so domestically in Germany, because often it's very, very conservative, long-term investment. And often it's from a perspective that's a bit different to the typical British investor. So the typical British investor from a pension fund is coming out of commercial real estate or you know, coming from that perspective and thinking about residential sort of second, whereas um, some of the investors we represent in Europe are, are certainly thinking about residential first because they, they're often coming from a, more of an insurance-type angle. They're, they're thinking about um, you know, negative-yielding bonds um, and to generate a relatively dependable um, income stream that maybe 2 3 4% or so is actually a very, very appealing return but bear in mind they're very long-term investors. You know, they're quite boring investors. So three and a half percent is actually pretty good if you're staring down a barrel of negative returns for Yes, for, and it's relative. It depends on what you're looking for, but that's probably not going to appeal to many British investors who are looking at it thinking, well, hold on, you know, I'm used to 7% long-term total return from commercial real estate. But the, the trick is to understand something that Simon's hinted at, which is the risk that's involved here. So the sorts of buildings that people should be investing in are probably highly you know, professionalised, um, purpose-built, built to rent, um, that are well-managed with um, techniques that weren't really prevalent in the UK five, ten years ago, more familiar with the student hall market that we've seen for the last 15 years or so. Um, and if you get that right, then there'll be a whole realm of capital that's prepared to invest here. And I think there's a couple of D words in there as well, isn't there, to throw in the mix, which is it's not, it's not developed stock. So the depth of the market that's there doesn't exist in the UK and a lot of those long-term investors have naturally shied away from development activity, and that's what we've got to go through to create the new homes and to create that sort of capital markets-ready stock. For people to come in and trade. And and Johnny Caddick, that's precisely what you're doing with Moda Living, isn't it? You've got a 6,500 pipeline of of units across seven, eight UK cities, north and south. Yeah. Um, Um, So how have you been able to, to bring some pretty top-tier institutional capital to the table to do that? Well, we, we started off in 2014, and um, what we, we were developing um, Build for Sale and uh, across the, the country, uh, predominantly in London, in, uh, in Canary Wharf and in Vauxhall. And what we found was that the capital values were going particularly high, so we looked to the regions to look and see what was happening there. And there'd been no stock built following the financial crisis in 2008, and rents were increasing, and there was no provision of stock. So we took a bit of a litmus test and went to see a number of the different pension funds who were looking to get into the marketplace. And we realised that this was 2014, that the build to rent was going to happen uh, because of all the, all the um, supply-demand um, dynamics that, that Simon referred to earlier on. So that's where we started off, and we knew that we had to get the right sites in the right cities uh, and build the right products or design the right products at that point in time. So, so we took that initiative and we secured sites um, and a number of sites. And what we realised was the capital that we were talking to uh, wanted a platform, wanted a pipeline. Um, and that's where we, uh, we came across Apache Capital, who uh, started off with Middle Eastern Capital originally. And obviously that was replaced later on um, by Harrison Street and the NFU. And, and in terms of the, I suppose, the UK within that, 
European base and Yadon. Where does it sit? So if you when you're looking across Finland, Germany, the Netherlands as you know relatively mature markets that have seen you know, yeah. pretty pretty strong yield compression in the last couple of years, how how many how many years ahead of the UK is a city like, or, or is a place like Germany? Uh, decades in some senses because the culturally um, a German adult would be completely relaxed about renting for a large proportion of their life. So that, I mean, that's a good thing, because that means for people like Johnny that are prepared to take the risk and develop stock, there's a huge amount of value to be had. Potentially, if British people start behaving like German people um, in the way that they think about their residences, but the, the whole perception of my home is my castle is embedded in British culture, and um, I think we, we need to start thinking about... Um, you know, the provision of, of high-quality modern rental housing, that's going to work, that will work over time. But, of course, many British people have got a... Um, you know, in the heritage, they can remember a very difficult period in the 50s, 60s and 70s where the rental proposition wasn't good. And that's why the institutions, because of various regulation forms at the time, um, backed off from this sector, which means that we don't really have a very modern, high-quality rental market as yet. Um, but you can see it coming. It's really coming. It's fundamental. And, 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 you, and you talked about the reallocation of, of funds from retail, and obviously that's a big challenge for investors right now. It's the fact that we do have quite a challenging retail market. To what degree are we likely to see, you know, a large scale reallocation of funds within real estate? Uh, I'll probably answer it a different way. If you look, if you're in the US and you were thinking about a state pension plan, so the, you know the typical, uh, effectively equivalent of a local authority scheme. Uh, in the US, they would allocate of their commercial, oh, sorry, of their real estate portfolios, maybe a quarter of that, 20, 25% of that would be considered to be multifamily residential of some form or other. And a typical plan in the UK, 0 to 5%, maybe. Um, so there's the, that sort of implies that the, the potential um, allocation could be huge. Whether it's all coming away from retail, I think that's probably a bit too sort of crude to say that, because um, some forms of retail clearly will still work. Uh, but people's eyes, investors' eyes, are absolutely open to residential. And that's we've obviously seen, our, you know, I've known Sam for some time, and his work in the student hall sector would be evident of that. You know, that's been a sector that's been maturing over the last 10, 15 years. And there's no reason at all to see that the PRS, built to rent, multifamily, call it what you will, um, won't mature equivalently. And, and pricing, is pricing going to come in more, do you think, Simon? Uh, that's always an interesting challenge. And of course, I should hear, sit here and say fundamentally, absolutely, it will do. But I think it's not just about yield compression. I think the key thing, and just picking up a point that Andy was making around the German rental market and that being a much more mature sector, actually, in terms of some of the experiences and the developments that we're seeing within the UK, they are head and shoulders above what I would consider to be mainstream German rental products. So most um, most protagonists in the sector that are evolving this product, so I'm, I'm sure Johnny spent quite a bit of time looking at multifamily assets in the States, that's where they go to find those precedents. And my expectation, and again, Andrew's referred to it already, is that actually that supply, demand and balance, the environment in which we work within the UK as a platform to develop a, a multifamily strategy across a pan-European fund is actually likely to land in the UK and then move on out, which is exactly what we've started to see in the student in the purpose-built student hall sector. So you mean the stuff in Germany is a bit more bog-standard what we're building here? Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> I'm going to have to disagree with him. We run about <laughs> we run about five billion in Germany, and I understand the point that Simon's making, but because the, the heritage is these sort of traditional estates, railway workers' housing, things like that. Um, 
our entire estate is modern, high quality kit. Um, so it's purpose built. It's very, very similar to a UK model. But would would you, would you compare it to a highly amenitized multi-family offer that you would see in the states? Mm. Would you yeah, have a football from? pitch on the roof? Uh, there's all sorts of things in the buildings. Um, possibly not a football pitch or soccer pitch, but they, um, there are all sorts of things there. And without doubt, and just just on the experience, that, um, I think where we have learned a lot from our German experience, which we haven't seen so much from a North American experience, is about the efficiency of the operation of the buildings. And there are, I think the answer here is that there are techniques that people are clearly bringing from cross-border, whatever that might be, because there's some countries have got some things, some are others. Um, but the net efficiency that we run on our German buildings is really, really impressive. And what, um, what, what, what numbers-wise, what's that looking like? Because, I mean, this is the big uh, question with the UK, isn't it, about where we're going to land in terms of gross nets, in terms of that Yeah, so it, and there are all sorts of reasons why it's a little bit different um, and shouldn't be strictly compared, but you, you may be running at 15 to 20%. We've got buildings that are lower than that, so the, the, the leakage is only 15 to 20%, and in some instances, it's a lot lower than that. And it's con- completely connected to how the tenants treat their building. So they are, they're treating it like a home. They're making a purposeful choice to rent... Um, for the long term, which is not typically how most British people think. And, and Johnny Caddick, that's obviously the the ambition with Moda is that people will think of it as a long term home rather than simply as a as a short pit stop between student housing and ownership. You want people to to have an aspiration to rent from Moda. You want yeah. them to, to want to create somewhere that people would rather live there than than buying a place because it's better. Yeah, I think what we're trying to do with Moda and, and generally the, the, the wider build-to-rent market is, is provide a differential of stock to what is out there currently with the buy-to-let market. And as that market's being squeezed now and the uh, government incentives take away that buy-to-let market, the service provision that's been provided to tenants historically has been, I mean, cases have been quite terrible. And I think what we're looking to do in build-to-rent, especially at Moda, is provide an aspiration to rent, not you don't rent because you have to rent, you rent out of choice, which is evident in, in, in other countries, in America, Germany, and across Europe. So what we're looking to do is provide, uh, put the, the power in the customer's hands to say you can have a one, two, three, five-year tenancy uh, to get security of tenure and to have all the provisions that come with that and, and the comfort and the, the peace of mind that comes with that. What we're finding is that a lot of people take 12 18-month tenancies, but they actually know that with it being a professionally owned, uh, sorry, institutional building, that they can actually renew at the end of their tenancy. So that gives them the peace of mind. And what our investors are looking for is incremental increases in rent. Um, so we get maximum tenant retention, and that's what we're looking for. And can I take that one stage further? You asked Simon the question about where do yields go. I think what we might experience, so it's me with my optimistic glasses on, what you might find is that when we have seen high-quality developed product that has existed for a few years and is stabilised, where you can prove that the tenants are staying for however long it might be, two, three, four, five years or more, um, that the investors will start to understand that that is a highly durable income stream and it will potentially attract capital that is more fixed income in nature, which will see it slightly differently. So they will, they will not be quite as aggressive as a perhaps the traditional investors might have been, but actually see it for the stability of income, in which case the yield could be lower. Because there's a competitive edge that's offered by that durability of income. Exactly. And so that, that dependability of the income, the fact that 10% of the building moves every year, you know, it doesn't really matter because there's no way that we're going to provide enough housing in most of the major cities of the UK or anywhere else. So that would suggest that the dependability is very, very appealing to long-term investors, which is why we think and why we've spent so much effort thinking about what residential does 
in the coming years. So, and I think, I mean, I couldn't agree with Andy Moore. I think that's absolutely right. And I think the other piece that we're perhaps missing in this element of the conversation really is around the opportunity to buy in scale. And, and that, frankly, is just not there of the right quality stock that has that demonstrable track record. And, of course, in terms of people making allocations, making new investments in this sector, they want to go in in scale. And I think uh, that's, that's a tremendous opportunity for those such as Moda who, who are leading from the front in that respect. And we've seen that in logistics, haven't we, Andy Allen, in terms of people putting together very large portfolios, cashing out and, and making some massive massive transactions occurring in the last couple of years. And similarly, Simon and Student, again, some, some huge portfolio sales over the last couple of years where people wanted to come in, as you say, at scale. Yeah, very much consolidation of, of those players. I think, I mean, one thing I'm often asked about is the difference between that sort of Groundhog Day experience I sense I'm having relative to, to the purpose-built student accommodation market and the real benefit that student has was that higher running income yield that enabled people to take a bit more risk or um, be compensated for that perceived risk in terms of building those portfolios Because up. it was mispriced risk, some would argue. Uh, some, some would definitely argue that, and I think ultimately that's what we're alluding to in terms of that potential for yield compression within the sector, that actually once you've demonstrated that, once you can buy in, I mean, probably one of the biggest challenges, I'm sure, for Johnny and the team was actually this rate of ramp-up. How quickly can you get in a development of three, four, five hundred units, which is what the institutional market wants? How quickly can you get to that stabilisation point when it does actually fundamentally perform in the environment that people such as Andy would want to see in the long term? And, and frankly, in the UK, we can take reference points from, um, from, from the US multifamily market, but we're in the UK, it's different, and that will be an investor's perception on it. Yeah. And that's been the challenge from Moda's uh, conception, is that we, we did push the bar. We added amenities into the schemes way and above what uh, the standard um, pension fund was putting in in the UK. And I think if you look back to the emergence of the, uh, the student sector, it started off with no amenities, and as the sector matured and, and, the, and the schemes became more and more amenitized. So we've had challenges with that. And I think it's becoming evident from, from the Moda model, what we've seen now with our inquiries to date before we open in, um, in October, is the level of inquiries has been phenomenal. That's based on the amenities, the marketing, the attractiveness over the scheme, the level of service that we're looking to provide. But that, the whole first phase is, is pretty much pre-let. Um, pretty much today, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're really excited. We're very pleased with what we've uh, achieved so far. Um, you know, um, but, but, yeah, I think in the marketplace where, where we are at the moment, I think the customers haven't seen a lot of this product yet, especially the concept of the American two-bed sharer, which is obviously uh, make, brings the affordability right down. And I think, uh, I think people would be very excited when this, this product starts becoming more commonplace. And, and Andy Allen... Going back to your point um, on Germany and, and looking across Europe, how do those different markets respond to, to consumer need? And, and at an investor level, what's the view of the investors? You know, what okay. is the view of the investors when it comes to the product? Do, do, they, do they care about the level of community? Um, do they care about um, how these buildings are specced? Yeah, we absolutely. Well, they care insofar as the, the quality of the income in the long term. So, yes, they absolutely are forced to care. Um, just taking that point that John has made about the design of the buildings, so that you know, that two equivalent bedroom sharers, there's, there's obviously an appropriate design for these things. We have so much products now in Germany that we can see some quite interesting um, sort of operational insights. So, for example, um, we can see how quick 
theoretically we can lease one bedroom, two bedroom, and three bedroom apartments. We know that one bedroom apartments um, trade sort of lease up materially more quickly at higher rents than anything else we do. But the so the opposite of that is that the tenants stay for shorter periods of time. So they're probably not that bothered about the amenity quite so much as someone who's staying with a family for a longer period of time, um, so professional sharers and families and so on. Um, so there's a trade-off about the level of design you put into these things and having, and having the correct mix. We've got a huge amount of this insight now. Um, and it sort of suggests that there's, a, there's an enormous amount of sophistication to come into this market um, about how to appropriately design schemes, um, which uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago in the UK would not have been understood at all. And I think that's how the market's going to evolve over time, isn't it? We are, again, make reference to the hospitality sector where you have different grades and starred hotels. I think you're going to start to see that evolving within the in, within the multifamily space as well. I, I mean, I, got, I had a, a great um, uh, soundbite from a, a colleague of mine who's been on uh, a work placement in the States, has experienced firsthand what multifamily actually really means, just about to come back to the UK, I'm never going back into the private rented sector. I want to live in a multifamily block. What is there in London? And that, for me, is, is a perfect illustration of actually once the consumers, once our customers actually get to understand that amenitized level of service and what that can actually truly offer, I think that's where you get a real sea change in terms of pe- uh, people's perception around uh, renting in the UK. And, and I suppose one of the challenges that politicians might say on that, just 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 kind of closing off the conversation, is is actually we don't care about amenities, we just want cheap rents. And, and, and I think that is one of the, the threats that we've seen, isn't it, Simon Scott, around rent controls and how that could impact the market yeah i mean i think talking about sort of government intervention at that level just as the market's gaining momentum makes me really nervous i think has been alluded to before um it's it's frankly what drove institutions out of uk residential as andy said back in the 50s and 60s so that naturally makes me very nervous so your message to 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 the mayor to any politician would be if you want investment in homes stay well away from well i i think the view that i would take is it's working at the moment why mess around with it and and Andy Allen again from a from a policy and and we'll stay we'll stay with policy. You're not going to have a view on politics, but from a policy perspective, yep. um, what do we need to be doing as we stare down the barrel of Brexit? Uh, well, let's keep off Brexit for a moment. Um, in terms of policy, that's quite a big subject. Um, in terms of policy, it's the bit that I think concerns us is that such is the degree of shortage of housing in the UK, we can expect a political response to regulation, whether that's clumsy or not. Um, I think it's highly likely that 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 will be investigated to some degree or other. What we can see globally when we look at certain markets, so weirdly, some of the more sophisticated investment markets for residential globally have some form of regulation. So there must be some way of embracing the correct form of regulation, so long as it is fair and stable. And the problem we had in the UK was that it wasn't fair and it wasn't stable to either side. And it's not a mature market either. Pardon? And it's not a mature market. No, so so to to start playing around with, sorry, my quip would be that variable regulation is like variable contract law and there's literally no chance that investors, as we sort of represent and speak to, will go anywhere near this sector if the regulation becomes variable. So if it bounces around. So what I would suggest that the, the policy is much, much bigger than people have some currently discussed, which is that housing policy should be independent of politics. If you can set interest rates independently, there's no reason why housing policy can't be. Interesting um, point. Um, very interesting point. Jo- Johnny Callick, just to close things off, I mean, what would your message be to 
to the new Prime Minister and, and our new Cabinet in terms of helping investment, helping bringing all this investment that, that Andy and Simon have said is there, wants to invest, wants to build homes, pension for money, mm. that needs that diversification. Is there one thing you think they could do to help? Well, I think we all know the word, it's stability. Uh, that's what everybody wants and they, they want to know what things are going to be like in the future. Um, I think from our perspective, we see the demand out there and we're looking to fulfil it by, by building homes and, and apartments for people to rent. Um, across the country in, in, in all different forms of uh, in tenure, single and, and multifamily. So um, what the government need to do, and I, th I think that's a really good point, Brian, is to, to split it out and, and make it non-political. I think that would be fantastic. Um, but from our perspective, uh, we need more homes and we need to build them quicker. And um, I think anything that happens that, that rocks that boat will have a, a big impact on uh, the social fabric of the country. Excellent stuff. Well, some great points there. So thank you very much to Johnny Caddick from Moda Living, to Andrew Allen from Aberdeen Standard and Simon Scott from JLL. Um, this has been a podcast for Property Week. Um, don't forget to stay tuned to propertyweek.com for the latest updates on Resi. I am Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting. Thank you very much for listening.